Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Great Old Ones Gaming. I'm Nate, lost in time and space, and today I'm joined with... I'm Innkeeper Vaisodin from the Tusitentico Inn. And today we're going to be taking a look at the Delta Green scenario, Kaligati. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Kaligati. A great scenario. Very, very fun. I can't wait to get into it. And this this operation was uh, is from Art Dream Publishing, written by Shane Ivey for Delta Green, the role playing game. Uh, it was part of the Kickstarter for Delta Green, the original Kickstarter. They had a few operations that they had included as part of it. So this is a very old scenario, but uh, definitely still still holds up as one of the better ones for Delta Green. But the reason we're taking a look at it today is because it was re-released in the Delta Green hardcover collection, uh, Delta Green Black Sites. Yep, we've been going through each operation in Black Sites, and uh, we just have a few more to complete. If you haven't checked out our reviews for some of the other operations, they are posted as audio reviews on our podcast. So if you're watching this on video... We weren't able to do those reviews on video, um, but moving forward, all of our reviews are going to be done in podcast version as well as video version. So if you're listening to this in audio form, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you want to watch these reviews and catch our lovely faces in high definition. <laughs> Nate's, uh, Nate's boyish good looks. Yes, truly. Um, but what's the elevator pitch for this scenario, Vase? Well, uh, the elevator pitch is agents are sent into an FOB, which is a forwarding operation base, uh, for forwarding operating base um, in Afghanistan or Iraq. Is it Iraq, Afghanistan, Iran? It's on the border. So I believe it's in Iraq, but it's right along the edge of the Iraq-Afghani border. So. So they're sent in to retrieve or help find uh, a missing Delta Green asset uh, who was stationed there and he just he went off and disappeared. And there have been some strange electromagnetic uh, disturbances at the base, but nothing major. And that's what this other Delta Green agent was there kind of investigating. And all of a sudden, he just left the base and disappeared. So the agents are there to find him. And that is the basic elevator pitch. When they get there, things start to develop, as Delta Green operations do. <laughs> um, and, uh, oh man, does it get crazy. So, it is one hell of a ride. <laughs> For sure. But, before we get into any details of the scenario, if you are a player looking to experience this scenario, there will be spoilers throughout the rest of the review. So, be sure to send your handler this way, and we will see all of you players in our next episode. Before we start, uh, the name Kaligati, it's actually the name of a city. It's a fictional city in this scenario, a little village, I guess. Um, so I, I did some research before we did our review um, because I was interested the, that the word seemed like maybe there was some alternate meaning. So I, I deep dove into some lore here. And even though this doesn't take place in India, um, in, in the Hindu religion, there are some meanings to Kali and Gati as well. And because the scenario takes place near the Hindu Kush mountains, 
there is kind of a Hindu connection in a way. According to the Hindus, Kali is the 10th and final avatar of the Hindu god Vishnu. And in the Kalki Purana, he's portrayed as a male mortal demon, and he's the source of all evil. And Gati Subramanya is an ancient Hindu temple, and it's situated on the outskirts of Bangalore. So it does have relevance, and you, as we get into our story here, you will see that uh, these words definitely have some kind of connection to it. Uh, they're kind of Easter eggs, I think, that Shane threw in there. Um, Gati is also a derogatory term that's used for people from a certain region of India, and it translates loosely to people from the hills. So again, a, a sort of a connection to the actual uh, scenario itself. So pretty cool. And then there's, there is a village called Kaligati as well in, uh, in that region, but that is not the same village that is presented in this scenario. And the scenario is very... Um, they put that really early in the scenario. They let you know that the, the actual Kali Gati in the scenario is not uh, the same uh, village that really exists in the world. It is a fictional village. And in the story, it's known as the Haunted Village or the Black Valley. Yeah, so right away, I get some uh, excellent nameless city vibes. I don't know if you... You were getting at it all just from hearing the initial premise of the scenario, but I was hooked right from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because it's like this mythical, um, there's all this lore surrounding this this hard-to-find village. It's got kind of a mythical aspect to it. Uh, definitely really, really touches on some of those um, uh, aspects like you said like nameless city the scenario itself is action-packed and it really showcases the combat system for the game and in a way that feels really impactful and exciting and there's escalating tension through the scenario and i described it when we talked about it before as like a a pot of boiling water that, that begins to steam at first and then begins to boil faster and faster and it's done really well in the build-up so as we get through this review, you will see exactly what I'm talking about with this. Definitely. But um, let's get into the where and when of the scenario. So it takes place in modern times. And as we said earlier, it takes place mainly at the FOB. But the investigators will eventually set out into the desert in the of the surrounding area to look for the fictional Kaligati. Um so as far as modularity goes, there really isn't a lot. You, I guess you could maybe change the time a little bit, but the location is very important to the scenario, so I wouldn't recommend keepers try to move this scenario to another location. Yeah, and yeah, like moving the, the time period, since Delta Green is so open to moving um, the actual time and place, you know, especially with Fall Delta Green being uh, being out there as well and taking place in the 60s. Um, this is one that I wouldn't recommend converting to Fall of Delta Green because between the there are a lot of tones uh, and a lot of mentions of the war in Afghanistan and the Middle East. And there wasn't a whole lot of that back in the 60s. So it's it's something that's going to be harder to translate. And then some of the events that occur um, do require some more modern technology, uh, like some of the vehicles that the that the uh, agents are going to end up riding in. So 
you would need to do quite a bit of work if you wanted to change this. And I, and, and it still seems like it would be pretty difficult to make it work thematically if you were to change any aspect of this in terms of the time or the place. Yeah, I agree. So I would kind of stick with what the scenario recommends for time and place for this scenario. Or operation, excuse me. Man, I do the same thing you do, Vase. <laughs> yeah. I flip-flop it, though. It's so hard. Yeah. It's so hard to not call them investigators or, or agents. Scenarios. Yep. Yep. So how are the agents involved um, with this operation, Vase? So at the start of the mission, they get orders um, before they board a helicopter on the way to the FOB. So they're they're sent in to meet uh, their ride to get on the helicopter. And it, right before they get on it, they get their orders, which basically uh, a Delta Green agent named Tim Ellis left the FOB for an unknown reason and now has gone missing. And then the agents have to track him down and bring him back before the Taliban capture him and interrogate him because they don't want him to be tortured and then give up information specifically Delta Green specific information. So the agents are given CIA cover identities. And then in addition to finding Ellis, they have a secondary mission, which is to keep a, a low profile regarding the strange electromagnetic signals that are happening near the base. And they're also to make sure that no information regarding the signals get leaked out to the world. So they take the helicopter ride and they head on over to the FOB where the scenario or the operation proper begins. So when they arrive at the FOB, um, there's a few avenues that they can take as far as the investigation goes. Uh, but they will encounter more than likely the uh, commanding officer at the FOB, which I believe his name is Bryant. I didn't jot it down, but I believe you're correct. Yeah. And they... Um, yeah, so they're, they immediately they, they realize a few things when they get there. Uh, first, the, it, the base seems like it's little by little being um, being shut down, being taken down, right? So, like, uh, the base used to have over 1,000 soldiers in it. Now they're down to about 60, so they're less personnel, less equipment. Things are being shipped out because eventually the base is going to be turned over to the Afghani um, war effort completely for them to handle that that base. Um, and then Ellis um, had been there, and it seems that the the disappearance has kind of created some resentment towards the agents and towards Ellis because the soldiers there just want to finish their tour and go back home. They don't want to have to deal now with this problem regarding Ellis, which could could turn into a bigger problem right yeah yeah definitely could um which is nice uh i like this aspect of the scenario because it also gives the the military personnel on base a reason to cooperate with the agents as they also don't want to be involved in a quote media shitstorm. <laughs> yeah that's exactly how they put it you know yeah because if if ellis is captured then they have to send in some additional help. Uh, it may lead to an escalating military conflict. And that's the last thing that they want because there was some kind of a ceasefire that was uh, negotiated with the local Taliban. So there was a sort of peace that 
was initiated just up to a, about a few weeks before the agents arrived. So right now, everything's on a ceasefire. The base is about to be turned over. And the disappearance of Ellis has kind of thrown a wrench in all that and is now uh, it has the possibility of setting off a tremendous amount of uh, either international incident or resetting the need for more troops in the area, which is the last thing anybody wants. Exactly. So there are a couple of avenues that the investigators can take. They can begin by interviewing various subjects on base, which if they decide to do that, they meet with two specialists who had interactions with Ellis, whether it was hanging out with him on base and drinking some of his extra legally uh, obtained alcohol because the base is a dry base, given where it is in the world. Um, they could interview locals at the village nearby who make vague references to Ellis and his cryptic research about Kaligati. Yep. And they can also start to dig into Ellis's computer or some of his um, personal belongings that are left in the base. And they, they quickly start to find out during their investigation that Ellis had become obsessed with this village called Kaligati, which no one seems to know about. Um, and he he apparently tried to find it on several loca- or several occasions. And these two soldiers that... Um, kind of got friendly with him, uh, tell the agents that they had taken him to local villages where Ellis would speak with locals and try to um, get more information in, about Kaligati. And the soldiers actually do say that they heard the word Kaligati repeatedly. Um, so the agents have different avenues, um, like you said. And if they, if they have the soldiers take them to the local village, then the villagers seem almost very reluctant to talk about this Kaligati at first. In fact, they don't want to say anything about it, but if they're able to be coerced into, into talking about it, they seem almost scared. So, so they have those options. And then there's another option as well, which they could speak with some of the Afghani military that, um, that the U.S. has been training alongside at the FOB. And they're a fairly unscrupulous bunch, to say the least. Uh, the Afghan soldiers uh, take a very laissez-faire approach to their occupation, where most of them are very sexually liberal, or they um, they do bad things. Drugs <laughs> and stuff, yeah. To put it in a very blunt term, yes. Um, so how reliable these people are is up to the player's discretion and obviously up to the uh, handler as well. But ultimately, um, the agents will gain enough evidence to eventually come to the conclusion that they need to set out and find Ellis in the desert. And once they start uh, heading out, that's when all hell breaks loose. Um, as they leave the, one of the villages where, where they get a little bit more information regarding Kaligati, before they leave, the villagers tell them about local militiamen that have gotten together to prevent people from finding this, this village. And they're not part of the Taliban and they're not part of the Afghan militia. They're just local villagers who basically have formed their own militia in an attempt to stop anyone from getting into this uh, Kaligati, which the villagers um, 
clearly don't want anyone coming out of that village or going into it. So uh, that is kind of like foreshadowing as to what's going to happen next to the agents if they continue searching for this Kaligati. And, uh, well, they do very, very shortly after that, they do encounter <laughs> some of these militiamen. They do. <laughs> but how do they get there? Because that's arguably one of the coolest parts of the operation. Yeah, so they have these vehicles uh, that the military is willing to send them in. And they're like... Um, yeah, the, the MRAPs or whatever. Yep. And man, these things are cool. Yeah, they're really, they're really badass. And they... They're sent basically escorted by some um, military guys, and they I think they take two vehicles, right? Two of those. Yeah, they always take them in pairs. That's standard military operating procedure. They These things are meant to be um, taken out into landmine-filled areas because they are protected, um, but that doesn't mean that they're impervious to harm. <laughs> Very true. And, and um, the scenario suggests, um, you know, kind of building up the tension as the the agents are riding through in these through the desert and then eventually kind of just hitting them with this explosion that occurs. So one of the vehicles runs over a landmine and flips over and they there's a video they suggest in the scenario that's on YouTube that you can watch of an actual real life military uh, vehicle, exactly one of these vehicles and how it goes over a landmine and it's flipped. So you can show this video to your, to your players so they can really get a visual representation of exactly how this goes down. And from there, the agents will be ambushed by the local militia that Vase had alluded to earlier. And this turns into a hell of a firefight. It is brutal. It's, uh, I mean, it goes from like calm and peaceful riding down the desert to just all out war, pretty much. And they're, they're, they feel like they're surrounded, the agents do, because these, these militiamen are hiding in the hills and they're basically shooting from all sorts of different angles. There's actually several different um, packs of them that are kind of um, shooting at them from different sides. So, this gunfight is a really awesome way to showcase the combat system in Delta Green. And um, the scenario, when it was written, was intended to test the combat system and make sure that it worked out all right. And I think um, in this scenario, it really, really showcases it in an awesome way. And if you pull this off properly, it can be a really fun scene for, for agents. So the players get ambushed. Shit hits the fan. Potentially some of them have died. Uh, certainly some of the other military personnel that was accompanying them has bitten the bullet in a literal sense in this case. And the agents have to decide what they're going to do at this point. Are they going to attempt to pick up their tails and run back to base? Or are they going to continue on into the desert and continue their investigation? And if they go back to base, the, the scenario potentially could end depending on how they handle that. So most agents uh, and most handlers are going to kind of encourage the agents in different ways to try and continue moving forward. And so if they do, they end up coming upon this valley that is known locally as the Black Valley. And it is known as the Black Valley because it's pretty much rotten. 
like all the plant life and there's like everything's black everything's like gone or or, or um there's a yeah there's like a strange erosion and like a a gunk or a like a secretion like an oily secretion on everything yep so the so as they get to the black valley they spot the village and it is the mythical village of Kaligati. So they finally make it there. And uh, when they do, they're surprisingly greeted uh, by very friendly villagers who seem to welcome the agents and um, kind of take care of them and tell them that Ellis did come through there. And he is in a temple resting up and gaining wisdom from their their god king, I guess, or their priest. Yeah, it makes um, there is specific details about the uh, religious aspects of the village, but uh, we won't go into too much detail here as it's not important to the overall synopsis of the story. But there is some really cool uh, potential seeds that you could use from the village in future operations if the handler chose. But ultimately, the uh, the agents will take the cue from the uh, village leader to go to the temple. And when they get there, it actually turns out that it's a giant staircase that descends down into the mountain. And at first it seems fairly normal. There's, you know, stone and normal architecture that you would expect of the area. But as they go further and further down, it almost feels like whatever's surrounding them is alive and they can feel like the the very rocks themselves start to feel different as this oily black secretion stuff kind of permeates everywhere around them and eventually they make their way all the way down the staircase and vase what do they find at the bottom of the staircase well um the geometry of the place starts to shift so it's like strange geometry and um as they go further in they find Ellis uh, kneeling naked and insane and chanting in front of this slumbering creature, this gigantic slumbering creature. And he tells, he turns around and tells the agents that straight up, he's trying to awaken this thing. Um, and uh, as, as they're talking to Ellis, some of the villagers um, that had entered the temple uh, shortly after the agents did um, catch up to them and try to murder them. And anyone who stayed on above ground and didn't descend down the stairs, any either soldiers or agents that stayed up there, the villagers up there try to slit their throats and kill them as well right at that moment. Yeah, it becomes a bloodbath very quickly. <laughs> yeah. And, and the last thing you want there is a bloodbath because the blood itself starts to awaken the creature. And the more mortals die in its presence the more it it, it starts to um to come out of its slumber and eventually uh more than likely it will wake up and then all hell breaks loose and then the agents basically have to endure a fight for survival and it's um the odds are extremely against them i mean it's extremely overwhelming uh they'll probably all die but there are ways for them to survive right there is, yeah. They could uh, potentially barricade themselves for the duration of the awakening of the monstrosity. They could, uh, if they had enough 
uh, military gear. They could potentially just mow down a village of insane uh, alien god worshippers, or they could just try to find a way to, uh, you know, get the hell out of there, essentially. <laughs> but this creature that, that it emerges does come out to the village and starts to basically kill everything. Um, if If they are able to hunker down and uh, survive for, I think it's an hour, then it'll fall back asleep. So they, they do have to wait it out if they want to survive the creature, um, which is, which is a difficult task because these villagers are going to basically all turn and try to kill the agents. Um, so, so if they don't handle it, handle it properly, more than likely either the villagers will kill them or this creature thing will kill them. Yeah. Uh, but that's basically the scenario. And then the conclusion really depends on what the agents decided to do or if the agents are alive at the end of the operation. Um, they could potentially want to go back to the village and uh, decimate the mountain completely, thus, you know, um, rendering the uh, ability to even go down there null and void. So... There are a lot of great potential um, feature seeds that the scenario's conclusion can provide. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it doesn't just leave it there. It gives you plenty of ideas to continue the story. Um, all right, so now that we've gone through the story, let's go ahead and talk about the things we liked about the scenario. Uh, I mean, what <laughs> for me, there's a lot to like about this scenario. Oh, I agree. It's one, you know, I've never run it. Um, but after reading through it, I'm like, why haven't I run this yet? It's so good. So, so good. As many Delta Green scenarios are. But this one stands out on its own. And it's it's fantastic. There's just so much good to talk about here. Um, so the, the first thing that I want to talk about, uh, non-story related, just the, the scenario itself, how it's written. The handler aids are great. Uh, there's quick references for like the characters that the that the agents meet at the Air Force Base. It's super handy. It's just basically a chart with each NPC, their demeanor, how they'll react to the agents and that kind of thing, and the information that they can provide for the agents. Super, super handy for a handler. I wish every scenario in every game offered this kind of quick reference for NPCs. And it also makes it really easy to role play because it gives you the demeanor of the character. And so it's super quick, like, oh, they went to talk to John. Look it up real quick. OK, John is a hostile towards the agent. Boom. You know, so it really, really cool. And a um, couple other things like some graphs indicating where what clues they can find and the difficulty of the skill tests uh, in order to find each piece of evidence and how much time is needed to uncover each piece of evidence all in one chart. Super, super handy too. And then the quick stats for the possible combat encounters and weapons that are used, definitely uh, really handy as well. Yeah, it's really nice that um, all those little things are provided in the scenario so that you don't have to go digging around in the handler's guide to try to find any of that relevant information. That's one design approach about Delta Green scenarios I really appreciate is that they put the information you're going to need in the scenario. Yeah, you don't have to lug around like a bunch of books. That's one thing everything. I really hate about D&D is that it mm -hmm. oftentimes it'll say, for more information, check out this page on this book. And it's like, well, why didn't you just put it there? Yeah, exactly. So, so I, 
really like that they put that um, put that information where it belongs. So, yep. great touch there. Uh, one thing that I really liked about this scenario is the fact that while it's not very modular, there is a lot of um, different avenues that the players can take as far as um, their investigation and ultimately what they decide to do throughout the operation. There's a lot of great player choice. Yeah, yeah, it makes it feel more real, like they're there, you know. Um, speaking of which, they they really flesh out a lot of the actual location and some of the things that are happening politically and, you know, why the military have these certain feelings towards the agents and um, other things that are going on that are beyond the scope of the actual scenario, but that affect certain aspects of it. Um, so it really makes it feel alive. So I, I really do appreciate that. And the openness that you mentioned also really helps it because there are some scenarios that are so hyper-focused that it's, um, it's like, okay, this is what we need to do and that's it. But yeah, there's a lot of different avenues, you know, like check the computer or go talk to the villagers or go talk, inter interrogate the, uh, the military personnel at the base, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, which is great because it allows a wide range of skills to be used, which is a criticism we have of certain scenarios and various investigative games is that oftentimes certain skills kind of get brushed aside for more uh, useful skills like uh, in the case of Call of Cthulhu, Spot Hidden or Listen. Uh, things like that kind of take precedence over accounting or certain types of uh, knowledge roles. Yep, totally, totally agree with you on that. I know that's one criticism you had on, um, not Ex Oblivioni, um, what's the one with the laser? Observer effect? Observer effect. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, you, that you... works for that scenario because it's, you know, its focus is, you know, a research center, so... Yeah. I think in Delta Green, like, it's more permissible to have those kind of specifics because oftentimes agents are, you know, they're called in from the program because of their specific skills, so. Yeah, it, it makes it easier to, to really be proficient in what you need to be proficient in just because it, the story calls for it. Like, why would Delta Green call a someone who's a Green Beret <laughs> To do a an operation that involves all science and, and you know that kind of thing, chemistry right, and right, things like exactly. that. Right, right, exactly. Speaking of which, the pregens. Uh, what do you think about the pregens? I always really like the pregens that are included in Delta Green operations. They're always really well fleshed out, and this scenario uh, is no different in that regard. Yeah, I I really like them too, and I'm glad that they provided some good ones that have relevant skills to the scenario, and. Um, it's important because even if if players want to make their own agents for this, the middle of the scenario has a very high likelihood of killing a few of the agents, if not all of them. And having well fleshed out pregens makes it easy in case someone does go down. You can just hand them this and they can start, you know, continue playing uh, and without having to stop the session in the middle for them to make up a new character, slow everything down. It just makes it really convenient to have a couple of pregens just like, all right, you, your agent died. Here you go. Run this guy. And he, and there's a, a story reason for them to be there, too. So it's like you can have these pregens be riding in the in the um, vehicles during the ambush. And then if a player 
uh, has their agent die, then you could just be like, well, this guy was here in this vehicle and now here, start running him because he's already there. So there's no need to kind of twist the story around and figure out how this other new character just appeared in the middle of the investigation in the middle of the desert, you know? Well, Vase, you mentioned it, and this was something that we definitely wanted to bring up as we mentioned it earlier, but the ambush. The so ambush. This is a scene that can be very, very well done, or it can end up in a dumpster fire. Yeah. And it really, I think it comes down to handler preparation, ultimately. Would you agree, Vase? Without question, yep. So as a handler, you really need to make sure that when you run this portion of the operation, that you know the combat rules and not just know them like, oh, I have the page open, but you know them. like You, you can cite them from memory almost because you want to be able to have the combat flow quickly because if you have players idling around trying to make a decision that's going to ruin a lot of the tension that this aspect of the scenario really plays up right like you're in a gunfire you're not going to sit around for six minutes and try to figure out should i shoot this gun or should i shoot this gun like you're just gonna you're gonna try to shoot when you have the available uh cover essentially yep like you said review the if you're a handler i recommend you review the the combat rules when you're reading through the scenario and then right before the session, review them again. And like, like you said, know them because you, this combat in particular, it's an ambush. You want to give them this paranoia and the, and build the tension and nothing kills the tension quicker than, okay, what are you, what are you doing for your turn? Oh, let me see. So is this guy over here or, oh, I don't know. Should I use my gun? Should I get my rifle out? Like that will kill the tension instantly. You want to be quick firing, rapid fire. All right, uh, someone pops up from the hill, shoots at your agent, hits you in the shoulder. What do you do? And then the agent needs to say, okay, well, uh, I asked this guy to patch my wound. Okay, what do you do? Uh, I pull up and I provide cover fire for him to move over and move on. And you just have to make sure that it keeps going rapidly because you want to give them that anxiety. You want to give them that feeling of like, they are shooting at us and we need to get out of this ASAP. And if you make it very, very fast like that, they will naturally start to feel anxious about their decisions and they'll have to uh, think quickly, like if their agents were in there, you know, and if, if you do it that way, you'll really, I think, do this portion justice the way I think they intended it to be run. If you slow things down to look up a rule, oh, how does kill radius work again? You know, oh, they throw a grenade at you. How does kill radius work? Shoot, let me look that up. That's going to kill the tension, you know, versus you knowing, okay, he throws a grenade. Boom. Okay, he rolls a 10 on the die. So that's a kill radius of 15. So now everybody's in that radius is pretty much dead or whatever, you know. (laughs) You're behind cover, so that blocks this. And so you already know it. It's going to be far more smooth than if you have to stop. Oh, what does this do again? And then look it up. And another recommendation that I would make to handlers as well, and perhaps I'll even do the courtesy of providing a cheat sheet down in the description below, uh, that you can give to your players so that they also quickly have reference to the rules and things like kill radius and lethality, uh, because those are rules that are very important to the way Delta Green Combat works. And you definitely want to make sure that you're on the up and up with those. 
and continuing on the positive of this ambush, um, to make things even easier for handlers to run quickly like this, the scenario breaks down the combat into a turn-by-turn basis. So it literally tells you something new is happening just about every round. So it'll tell you round one, the ambushers come up from the hill. Turn two, one of the ambushers pulls out a rocket launcher and shoots it at one of the vehicles. Round three. So you know what to do. So it makes it easy for you as a handler. And of course, depending on what the agents do, those options can change. But at least you have a general idea of what's going to happen every single round. That'll also make it easier for you to not have to stop and go, okay, the agents did this. Now what am I going to do as the, you know, as the ambushers? So it's really nice that they break that down that way. It makes it awesome for you as a handler to really continue running this in that quick manner that I was talking about. Yeah, and since it gives you the breakdown, you can you can use that breakdown to really elaborate and describe what's going on and really build the tension. So this is a very, very awesome scene, but you really want to make sure that you're prepared to deliver it well to your players. We'll, we'll get to more back. We'll, we'll go back to the uh, combat scene when we get to the neutral and the bad, because there are some things that are definite caveats. You touched on them. You hinted at them. And I think we'll go a little deeper into that in in a moment. Did you have anything else to say on the combat for the good? Uh, This also plays into the ending of the scenario as well. So since you've done all that prep for the ambush, you should be, in theory, very well prepared to run the ending as well. So um, doing that prep pays its dividends. Um, And the ending, I think, is probably the best part of the scenario for me. (laughs) <laughs> it's awesome the ending it, it reminded me of um uh, event horizon when dr weir when they find dr weir in that pool and he's naked and he's like in, clearly insane um it it kind of really brought that back to me when they find ellis kind of naked and just worshiping this creature you know yeah i wouldn't be surprised if shane like watched that movie the night before he wrote this scene <laughs> <laughs> yep yep <laughs> And um, and the creature being released, um, that one's that's a really cool uh, concept too. That this, you know, this priest that they're that the village is constantly talking about is just this creature, uh, this eldritch horror that's just been sitting in the middle of the town the entire time, and just its presence. I love that its presence can be felt. Like the the land around the village is all corroded and. Um, rotting and things like that so just the creature's presence is affecting all these things around it which is really neat and it affects their mental state like these people are clearly not of sound mind so oh yeah 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 it's the ending is so cool i just i couldn't say enough about it i could spend like another five minutes just going into how cool it is but did you have any other overall positive things before we get into our nitpicks and criticisms? Um, yeah, a couple more things. Uh, always, I'd like to mention the art because the art is fantastic. It really helped me envision uh, how things were kind of developing throughout the scenario. And um, I love how they did the myths uh, regarding Kaligati. It really made it feel like you mentioned the nameless city, like all these, all these things when you start the scenario and then you continue on to the village it just feels like this mythical place that some people have heard of. Some people uh, don't want to talk about it. Um, There's all these kind of rumors about what it is and, you know, exactly what's going on in this village. 
uh, finding things that Ellis was researching. You find some crazy things about the village, but it's like so far from reach initially that it just seems like this mythical thing. And then when you finally get there, it lives up to every expectation, you know? And at first with the, the way the villagers greet you and they're all friendly, it's the last thing you expect initially, but then very quickly you start finding out that they are definitely not all there. <laughs> and then, um, and then as things develop so quickly, it's like, okay, yep, this is, this is Kaligati. <laughs> Um, and I know one last thing I wanted to say in the positive, you mentioned the three act structure when we were talking about it last time, like you, you compare it to ex oblivione. Yeah. It's, it's got similar kind of beats to it, right? Where in ex oblivione, you start with that murder investigation, which ultimately leads you to the, um, to the medical annex, which then leads you to investigating the kids at the town of what is it? Yuma. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, they no, or Mustang, uh, Mustang. Yep. Yeah, so they they go to Mustang, and then that's ultimately where this scenario concludes with them having this confrontation with the whole town, and this is kind of similar, right? They start with investigating a missing persons case at a FOB, then they have the the second act, which is them arriving at this new location, and then the third act is them confronting uh, either the whole town if they're above the ground or if they're below ground they're going to have to deal with the uh the cultists from the town as well as the monstrosity and ellis yeah and i agree with you when you mentioned the three-act structure and the compare it to ex oblivione i'm like oh yeah it, it really does have like this similar kind of beats um it's not the same story it's you know clearly think different things happen but it's clearly definitely like three different acts um and you can you can break it up into two sessions and have the middle act, which would be like the ambush, the talking to the villagers and all that, and then end the ambush in a cliffhanger and then start the next session with just a rapid fire of combat um, from the ambush, you know, that kind of thing. So, so yeah, it's a, it's really cool. I love the three act structure uh, scenarios that are like that because they just feel like a, like a complete story when, when they're uh, structured that way and for the neutral so did you have anything in the neutral as far as neutral things go um not really uh we had already kind of touched on the ambush which i think really just depends ultimately like we said comes down to handler preparation but really, I find a lot of the other aspects of the scenario to be really well fleshed out and well done that I didn't really have any neutral nitpicky kind of criticisms for this scenario. Um, for me, the, the main big, you know, event, which is that ambush in the middle of the scenario, it's great. I love it. Uh, but it does come with caveats and you mentioned a few of them. So I do think that this is a neutral for me. It does have a, a very, very high chance of being very deadly. And in the middle of the scenario, losing an agent kind of can suck. So be prepared, prepare your agents, let them know that this is a deadly scenario and they should either make an additional agent just in case or give them the pregens so that they have something uh, ready to go if an agent does happen to fall in the middle of the scenario. Because the last thing you want to do is stop everything because the scenario builds up the tension so well. 
And if you're not prepared for this, and if you don't prepare your players for this, it does have the tendency to slow everything down. If someone has to stop and make, and make another agent and everyone has to wait for them. Like it can, it can really remove the tension that you've been working so hard at building up. So make sure that you're prepared is what I would say. Like it's only neutral for me because there definitely is a possibility that there are some handlers that are going to try to run this straight through without reading through it first. And they may not be ready for this. And if they're not, then it can really uh, cause a change in the tone of the scenario or, or remove, release a lot of the tension that you're, you've been trying to build up all this time. Yeah. And on the, um, on the note of having extra uh, characters for the players in case they go down during the ambush, I would also recommend that handlers prepare the some of the military personnel as well that's accompanying the players because that's an easy way to just say, okay, well, now you're playing specialist, uh, specialist booker for the rest of the scenario or something like that. And they're already there. They're already in the, the heat of the action. They already... They're already up to speed with the investigation, so you don't have to backpedal to get the players to be uh, involved. Yeah, and now that you mention it, last uh, last time we talked about this scenario, um, you talked about, you gave a recommendation to give your players a couple of those military individuals, not just in case of, you know, their agent going down, but like in the combat, just give them a few of those soldiers and you touch on it right now. And so I think that's, that's a really great way to handle this because um, one thing you had said last time was that the agents may not have any skills in combat. So they're going to feel left out if they don't, you know, if they don't get involved in this major scene. So, so definitely give them uh, like you just mentioned the control of some of the soldiers. So they feel involved and they feel like they're part of this awesome combat scene. Yeah, it also just, you know, takes a little bit off your plate as the handler, too, right? You don't have to worry about making the actions for those uh, for those soldiers, and you let the players... Uh, I think it's a little more engaging as a player to, to be able to say, like, hey, you, over here, go there, you know? Like, it's it kind of gives that, like, tactical squad combat feel, which I really like. Yeah, exactly. All right, so... Um now for some of the things that we didn't like or that we feel could have been done just a little bit different. Um, did you have any of those? Yeah, I personally, I'm not a huge fan of the the EMP um, aspect of the scenario as I feel that that can kind of derail the investigation a little bit. Uh, so, so when they arrive at the FOB... Um, communications basically don't work because there are regular EMP pulses throughout the area that render them useless. And while this is a great way to make sure that the players aren't just, you know, sending drones out or communicating with uh, various uh, other military organizations outside the base, it does kind of hamper things. And while the program mentions to kind of drop the subject i have the feeling some players aren't going to do that yeah yeah i agree with you on that uh the emp serves a few purposes uh when they get ambushed it could disable the radio communications it also in the town can prevent them from just like you said calling in a drone strike um but you're right it 
it could create like a false lead where investigators are going to spend so much time. It's in a lot of investigative games, this can happen and is a common thing where you may mention something in passing and you don't, when you read through the scenario, it doesn't seem important at all, but one player will harp on it and will pick up and think that it is the most important aspect of the scenario. And this EMP thing is not a minor thing you mentioned in passing. It is part of the reason for being there. So I think you're right. Some agents will kind of harp on it and focus on it, taking away attention from the actual main story and not their fault because it's something that's mentioned, right? So uh, who can blame an agent for thinking that it might be pertinent to the actual cause of Ellis's disappearance? So, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. That could have maybe been done a little bit differently. Uh, also, uh, one of the things that I think could have been done differently, the scenario recommends that you keep track of time and it hints at it at the beginning, but it doesn't emphasize it enough. And I think that some handlers will not really think too much about it. And on it, it's not until page 14 of the scenario that it tells you how important it is to know what time it is uh, when they get ambushed. So handlers really should be keeping track of time from the moment the agents land at the FOB because it does come into play later on when they get ambushed, what time it is, because as they start walking, it can affect uh, their supplies, their water, their food and things like that. Um, So it's extremely important. And I wish that they would have made a bigger emphasis about keeping track of time for handlers in the beginning of the scenario instead of on page 14. But it's a minor thing. It's not a tremendous issue. It's just something that I think is worth noting. Yeah, well, time plays such a critical aspect in a lot of investigative games that maybe, um, you know, maybe the designers or the writers just sort of assume uh, that the handlers are going to keep track of time. But I, I do agree with you that you, as a handler, definitely need to make sure that you're keeping track of time throughout the scenario. Because, like you said, it plays an important aspect to how the how the agents are going to uh, proceed, especially in the um, especially in the desert when they only have so many supplies that last them for so long. So if they wander around the desert, um, they you know, they could literally dehydrate to death. And that's one aspect of the scenario that that I do kind of like if it's done well, but I could definitely see where Vase is coming from in that it's so easy to just um, not think about it when you're running the game and you just kind of go, oh yeah, okay, yeah, you you end up at the village. But you don't really, you're not really stressing, uh, you're, you're not putting any stress on the players like when they get there, right? Like it should be strenuous, it should be arduous in a way. And making sure that you're keeping track of time and that, you know, you're giving the players a sense of uh, finality to it also is important. Because you you want to make sure the players aren't dawdling around and spending weeks on this investigation, too. So exactly. And um, since you mentioned the ambush, that's that's my only other thing that I had a gripe with, which, again, the ambush has a lot of great things, a lot of neutral and some bad. Um, for me, the, the bad part of the ambush is it has it does have the potential to traumatize the players so the scenario tells you after the ambush um they can capture one of the villagers one of the um the, um militiamen right 
But if they don't, some players will not. In fact, I, I am assuming probably a majority of people who play this scenario, the agents are going to shoot to kill because it's kill or be killed. The last thing they're going to think about is capturing one of the people that ambushed them. And they may or may not know that the, these guys were the militiamen uh, that they were told about in the village. They may think that these guys are Taliban. And therefore, they may think that more uh, more ambushers are going to be coming. Or if they continue forward towards the village, there are more troops out there. If they happen to capture one of the villagers, he tells them, this is all of us. You, you killed us all. There are no more people that are going to ambush you. But if they don't capture someone and interrogate them, they don't know that, right? So they're gonna they're probably gonna freak out, especially if they suffered heavy losses, and they're gonna say, We're not prepared for this, and they're gonna head back to the FOB, which is the last thing that you want them to do. Because the if they go back to the FOB, the chances of them getting enough support to go back out after losing one, uh, one or both vehicles and losing some soldiers of the few that are left in the base they're probably not going to get approval to go back out or enough support to go back out. So therefore, if they don't have better support going back out, they're not going to go back and find Kaligati. They're going to just basically lose the mission. So that's a that's a major thing for me, I think, that if if it's not handled well and if you don't nudge them enough to continue going forward and they do throw in some things to prevent you from going back, like they say, well, Kaligati's closer of a walk than walking back to the base, but some agents may still go, well, I don't care if it's longer. We're not going to continue going because we're going to get ambushed again. Yeah. So the other aspect about the ambush too, that I didn't particularly care for is if the players do end up uh, interrogating one of the militiamen and they find out that, you know, they're not a part of the Taliban and that, you know, the Taliban's not here, that he's not that he's lying, but he's not, aware that the Taliban are actually around and that if the players just do nothing, they will get ambushed again by the Taliban this time (laughs) by the Taliban, which has repercussions outside of the scenario, right? Because that invokes a huge media shitstorm because American soldiers got attacked out in the middle of the Afghan desert trying to recover a missing person, right? Like that, that mm-hmm. explodes into a shitstorm that the players and Delta Green are not going to want. So there is a very real possibility that if the players go back and they, you know, they cut their losses, that they're going to be out of the program. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's clear that there, the scenario makes it clear that there are huge repercussions. But you could make that into a positive Right. You could if the players get uh, booted out of the program, maybe the outlaws now all of a sudden sees interest in them. Yeah. So it's not to say that it's impossible for the players to, um, you know, to get the hell out of there. But again, it really comes down to handler preparation and what you expect your players to do. Yeah. Yep. And so that's that's my only other thing. I mean, there are ways to manage it and handle it. It's just something to keep in mind when running this this operation, I think. Yeah. So I think overall, I really like this operation. I think it has a lot of really great story moments. There's a lot of really awesome 
uh, potential for future seeds for scenarios. And you also just, there's just a lot of great play with the investigative portions into the ambush, into that awesome showdown at the end, which is, again, uh, for me, the best part. And with enough preparation, you could really take this scenario in a lot of different directions. But, I mean, that's kind of the caveat, right, is that this scenario or this operation, I feel more than others, requires a good amount of preparation from the handler. Yeah, yep, I agree. So great scenario, great operation. I love it. It's one that I wish I've, I would have read sooner because it's it, it's definitely in contention for one of my top threes. It's not currently because I haven't run it, <laughs> but I I really like what I see in this one. Uh, the combat really showcases the combat system of Delta Green, which doesn't get showcased enough in a lot of uh, operations. And I think this one handles it like better than any of them. And that, like you said, the story elements, everything about it is fantastic. It's got a lot of great handler tools. It's an operation that other operations uh, should be modeled after that. This one should be modeled after. Um, so one thing, uh, the ending, you mentioned the ending, how you love it. I do too, but there's this movie, uh, and I think I mentioned it to you recently. It's called Borderland. Um, it's called Final Prayer in the U.S. It's called Borderland in Europe. And because there's another movie called Borderland, that so you can't confuse the two. Uh, but it's like a found footage movie, but it's a Lovecraftian horror found footage film. And it is super cool, and the ending is amazing. I'm not going to give it away. I'm not going to spoil the movie, but you can kind of apply that ending to the scenario instead of it's the scenario's actual ending. And I think it could still end up being awesome. I think it would be really unique and interesting to do it this way. And if you've watched the movie, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't watched the movie, definitely watch the movie because it is super, super good. Um, and Nate, I know you haven't seen that movie. Definitely watch it. And even if you don't like found footage, I think you would like this movie if you're into Lovecraftian stuff. But, um, but yeah, anyways, uh, regarding that in this scenario, I think it'd be really cool to try putting that in at the end instead. And I, and I really would love to hear if anyone does that, how it goes down for you. I might do it myself. Who knows? Yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But if you're interested in picking up this scenario for yourself, you can head over to Drive Through RPG, where you can pick up PDF as well as a softback uh, cover. Or if you're interested in picking up the entire collection, you can pick up uh, Delta Green Black Sites on Arc Dream Publishing's website, which will be linked in the description down below. Uh, I think that's going to do it for this review, though, right, Vince? Yep, yep, that'll do it. Yeah, so Kaligati is a really great scenario that we highly recommend, but with the caveat that if you're going to run it, make sure that you have done your homework. Definitely. <laughs> but uh, I've been your host, Nate, lost in time and space, and I was joined with today... Innkeeper Vase Odin from the Twisted Tentacle Inn. And we will see you all in our next review. See you later. <laughs>